I, I learned a while back, uh, but it's, it's so important as, as you journey in your Christian life and as the Holy Spirit transforms you into the image of Jesus, one of the things that's so, that's so vital for us to understand is that God is a gentleman. God will not force transformation on your life. God will not make you become like Jesus. That's his desire. That's his hope. That's what he is present in you to do, is to create in you this image of Christ. But he will only do it in as much as you are willing to give him the t- space and the territory to do it. Right? If you, if you refuse the work of God, then it will not occur in your life. Does that mean he'll quit pursuing you? No. God will continually pursue you for his purposes, but he will only take as much territory in you as you give him. So that's why we pray and start the morning all the time with God, you, you can have territory in my heart. You can have my mind, will, and emotions. You can have all of me. Because when we give ourselves fully to him, then his purposes in us will be fully realized. It's not the work that we do, but we've got to give him the space to do it. Does that make sense? So it's important for you as you continue to walk with the Lord to always be conscious of, am I giving him space to do what he wants to do in me, or am I refusing that work? Just a side note, but uh, it's why we pause uh, again at at the beginning of our time. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, I've said it three times, we're there. We're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to read this commandment about the Sabbath. Now remember, this. so in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses is coming back to the children of Israel and repeating the commandments, okay? There's some of Moses' commentary in in Deuteronomy chapter 5, but this isn't the original giving of the Ten Commandments because you'll remember the Ten Commandments were originally given and then uh, God's people chose to walk in disobedience. And so God said, because you've chosen to walk in disobedience, this entire generation has to die off before you're going to go in the promised land. So there's a 40-year gap between the original giving of the Ten Commandments, this walk in disobedience, and that generation dying off, a new generation uh, rising up, and now Moses is uh, preparing them. His leadership's going to change. Moses is going to exchange leadership with Joshua, and they're going to go into the Promised Land. And so Moses is reminding them again of the principles that God has given them, right? So he's going back over the, uh, the Ten Commandments. So this is where he talks about uh, he's going to talk about uh, the Sabbath, in, starting in verse 12. He says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Okay, so that right there, God outlines, Moses is speaking again to the children of Israel, and he outlines what the Sabbath day is for. So there's lots in that. We're going we're gonna to unpack that. But to do it, we need to understand where did it come from? What is this word Sabbath? Where did it come from? So go to Genesis chapter 2. Because the beginning of the Sabbath actually came from the Lord. The first one to ever take Sabbath is God. And He does it at the end of, at the end of creation. 
So go to Genesis chapter 2. Before we read that, what are some words, that, just some synonyms, what are some things that you think of when you think of Sabbath? Rest? That's, that's common. Anything else? Any other? Okay, personal time. Okay. Okay, no shopping. And no working, okay. What else? What are some things that you think of when you think about Sabbath? Sunday? Okay. So a day? What else? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so kind of like you time, personal time. Cool. What else? Anything else? Sabbath? Anybody ever think of, I mean, when we think of rest, why do we need rest? Yeah, because we're exhausted, right? Right? The work week exhausts you, and then the Sabbath is for rest. I think that's what we normally think of. Um, so, but let's, let's look at this in Genesis chapter 2. Let's see, why did God have Sabbath? It says uh, in verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Why did God have Sabbath? Okay, what did you say? He was finished? Was okay to enjoy his creation. That's good. Was God was God taking Sabbath because he was exhausted from all the work that he had done? I mean, creating the world is quite a job. Yeah, I can barely wake up at six and make it to my little workout thing that I told you I started. Rich caught me the other day. I was there, guys. That's killing me. That's ki- exercise. I just would not recommend exercise. Um, <laughs> I even got this little thing that tells me how bad I'm doing. Uh, so, anyway. Was God tired? No, God wasn't tired. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't exhausted from the work that he'd done, and now he needs to take a break because that creating was difficult. There, two times it says, it, there, now they're synonyms for each other, but uh, it says that the first time it says that he finished the work that he did, right? And the second time it says that he had completed what he'd done. Why did God rest? I think Lindsay said it probably the best. God rested because it was time to uh, observe all that he'd done because it was finished and take pleasure in what he had done, right? There was a reflection on what, was, what had been created. And what does it say after every time God creates something? What does it say that, he, that he, he looked on it and it was good? It was always good. Everything that God touched, everything that God created uh, in those days was good. And so the completion of it, the Sabbath, was a time where he looked back and it was all good, right? So God didn't rest out of exhaustion. But I think that if we look, if we fast forward and look at just our culture now, what, are, what do we use weekends for? Well, we use them for work. We filled in that space. That's who, I don't know who said that. that was good, but 
We have filled that in. Rest is diminishing. We work all the time. But we also, if we do rest, we're resting because we're exhausted from what has occurred, right? We, we come to the end of the, end of the week And we've done so much, we put our hands to so much that our rest is to catch up because we've got to do it all over again the next week, right? And if we don't don't rest, we won't get back to at least somewhat level in order to exhaust ourselves again. And for us, Sabbath or rest is after we've depleted the tank and we're trying to fill it back up enough in order to pour it all out again. This is not the kingdom design for Sabbath. It's not the kingdom design for rest. God rested in completion, in fullness, not in emptiness and exhaustion. I want you to see this with, uh, with man because you go, yeah, well, okay, that's God, right? That's easy to say. Of course, God didn't rest from exhaustion. He's God. He doesn't get tired, right? What about us? Well, go, uh, we're going to look at how this works with Adam and Eve. So go back uh, uh, maybe a page, maybe not. Genesis chapter 1. Remember, rest should never be out of exhaustion. God model this, models this for us. But look at uh, verse 27 of chapter 1. All right? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay? What did God just give them? Quite a bit. Let's go back and make sure we understand the list. He tells them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Right? have authority over it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, uh, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Is that a job? How would you like for that to be your assignment? All right? God has created everything, right? It's all created, right? And then God looks at Adam and Eve and He says, now you run it. That's essentially what occurs, right? God creates it, God creates man, and then he says, now you are the one that's got to run all that I've created. You have authority over it. Multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have authority over all that I've given you. That is a monster task, I promise you. None of you will walk into work on Monday morning uh, or walk into class, and no one will give you an assignment to the magnitude of which God gave this assignment to Adam and Eve, right? So what do you think their, their minds begin to do? If I just give you that job, what are you going to begin to do? Freak out, probably is one. You're going to begin to plan it, right? You've got to begin to figure out, okay, how are we going to get this done? How are we going to organize all these animals? I don't even like all of them. And so how are we going to, how are we going to organize them? How are we going to get this all uh, fixed, right? A, a tremendous amount of work would begin to plan. That's probably where the first marriage dispute happened, right there, right? <laughs> what are you going to run? I don't know. What are you going to you know, so, Right? They began to learn even relationship with each other. This was a tremendous task. And what is the first thing that God had them do? Go to Genesis chapter 2. So God tells them, you're going to have dominion, right? You're going to run this thing. And it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. This is verse 1, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. 
God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because in it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God gives Adam and Eve this massive task and what is the first thing that they do? They rest. You think Adam and Eve were scurrying around working while God was resting? Absolutely not. The Sabbath was instilled the moment that God finished and had given authority to Adam and Eve. And the very first thing that he had them do before they began to work, he had them rest. See right here, the pattern is established. Rest doesn't come after work. Rest comes before work. Now that's interesting. Why would God, why would God give them so much to do and then waste a day? What a, anybody runs their own business. What a horrible uh, lack of productivity to begin resting. There's much to do. There's much to organize. There's much to think about, right? They, it's time to get busy. But the first thing that God does is he has them rest. And one of the things we establish here that's true about the Sabbath from there all the way to today is that our work as believers comes from our rest. Our rest doesn't come because of our work. Are you with me? This is huge. Our work comes out of our rest. Our rest doesn't come because of our work. We are, we are very much opposite, as I said, in our culture. Our rest comes because we've worked ourselves to death. God established the Sabbath as the way in which his people would be full and overflowing in order to carry out the work that had to be done. So why in the world do we need to have Sabbath? Well, a few things. And uh, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. You guys all right? You may still dancing? All right. So why do we have the Sabbath? Well, it, we're going to go over three things. Sabbath is for refocus. If these are all ours, doggone it, they are. I didn't plan that. I'm not that Baptist, all right? Refocus, rest, and remember, those three things. Sorry, that's so corny. <laughs> Oh, all right. I won't do it again. So the Sabbath is for three things. Well, we want to refocus on the Sabbath, especially if we're thinking about our rest producing the work that is to come. We want to refocus. Obviously, we want to rest. And then God also says, uh, Moses teaches the people that they need to, on the Sabbath, they need to remember. Remember, he says, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. So on the Sabbath, there's also this remembering that occurs. But why do we refocus? What is, it, what, what is the point of, of a refocusing? Why is it good on that, on that Sabbath day? And we're going to talk about the practicals of it because you're going, I don't even have a Sabbath day. I don't even know what you're talking about. I thought Sabbath was going to church. We'll, we'll test that in a minute. But why is it important to have a day of refocusing? Anybody know what happens during a week in terms of focus? You can lose it, man. It can be spread out all over the place. If a problem arises, your focus can get uh, hyper-concentrated on that problem. You can, lose, uh, you can lose the reality of the bigger picture, right? So to stop and to refocus in, such a, in a practical way is huge in keeping perspective of what we're living in. Anybody ever had a problem become bigger than it actually was? Everybody better be nodding. <laughs> Yeah, it's called human emotion. Our, we can fixate on a problem and it can blow up way larger 
than in reality it actually is. So refocusing allows us to recognize perspective. I, I, when I was in Sundown, I taught this uh, need for the church to again recognize perspective, knowing that we are here for a, uh, a small number of days. In 80 years, most of us in this room will be dead and no one will remember our name. I know it's like dreadful, right? And it, but think about the reality. Maybe it's 100 years for some of you famous people. But we are a vapor and a mist. And the reality, the perspective that is right for us is that we have been put on the earth for a appointed small period of time to make way for the king who is coming to reign forever. And if we lose that perspective, then our small amount of time here on the earth will become so much bigger than it actually is uh, and we'll become obsessed and focused with us and what we need to do instead of recognizing that we're here to play a small role in preparing the way for a large king that's coming again to rule and reign forever. And if we lose that perspective, uh, then we've lost reality because that is reality. So Sabbath allows us to really reconnect with reality, that we are small, but we've been called into a big thing by a big God, right? And refocusing allows you to do that. I want to really um, press in on resting and remembering, though. Go to John chapter 15. This is one of those paradigms of the kingdom that we've got to understand, and that God institutes the Sabbath in order to teach us this very lesson. See, Jesus is going to come along in uh, John chapter 15. Now, I'm going to read a bunch. I'm going to read 15 verses. You guys all right with that? Okay. I know when I was, man, when I was a kid, if the pastor read more than like two, I was out, man. Because he was, he, I grew up there reading the King James, and it was, there was too many V's and thou's, and I was, see ya. <laughs> ADD got me at verse two. All right. So for you all, I'm reading from the ESV, but I am going to read 11 verses. I am the true vine, verse one, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and that's the word I want you to lock in on. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit. Listen to this. For apart from me, you can do most things. Is that what it says? For apart from me, you can do a little bit. He uses an absolute here. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So anything that you think you're doing apart from him is just a facade. It is nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like the branch, uh, like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Don't take that out of context. He didn't just say, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what glorifies the Father? When we what? When we bear fruit. But there's a catch. 
How do we bear fruit? Abiding. We cannot bear fruit without abiding because apart from Him, we can do nothing. So can you glorify the Father? No. You cannot, in and of yourself, you cannot glorify God. You can do nothing for Him. Jesus makes it plain. You will glorify the Father as you bear fruit, but you can't bear fruit unless you abide in me. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. But by bearing fruit and glorifying the Father, you prove to me about disciples. You guys are almost done. We're on verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Did you know that's the greatest news that we can do nothing? Jesus says, this is, this is the word that, that uh, your joy will be full is when you recognize that you can do nothing. That by abiding in me is the only way that you'll bear fruit. But if you'll abide in me, you'll not only bear fruit, but you'll glorify the Father. People will know that you're my disciples and your joy will be made full. Again, I said this is the kingdom paradigm that we have to get. We spend so much time, and unfortunately, it's been shouted from pulpit after pulpit after pulpit. I'm not church passing. I'm just saying this is what we, this is what we have said, that we must work for God. You were created to work for Him. And our work, when we hear that word work, immediately in our Western mindset, what does that mean? Get it done. Read the Bible more. Be at church as much as we can. Preach the gospel as often as possible. When I, just think about a business context. When I say work, what do you think of? Work. Doing it. Pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. This is the American dream. Go for it. Push, push, push. You got to outwork everybody else. I don't know how many times growing up in a sports world, that's what I've heard. Are you working when no one else is, Right? This is, our, this is our understanding of work, and we've carried it over into the church world, and unfortunately, work in the kingdom doesn't mean the same as it does in the Western world. Work in the kingdom comes from rest, not from exhaustion, not from energy. This is one of those gifts that God has given us that we have yet to really fully realize. But Jesus tells us that work, you're doing in the kingdom will only go as far as you are willing to do nothing. That sounds so strange. If you are willing to completely empty yourself and do nothing and totally rely on the power that is in you, totally abide, rest, trust in me, that's where your work will take place. Anybody ever started a productive work week by saying, all right, I'm doing nothing? All right? I tried to cut my grass like that the other day. It didn't work. I tried to abide in my lawnmower and it didn't work. <laughs> Darn thing wouldn't even start, you know. <laughs> but the reality is that we were, we were created, body, soul, and spirit, to be filled. We were created to be filled by the presence of God in the spirit, right? Right? Each one of you, if you have repented and believed on Jesus, you have been saved, and the presence of God is in you. The person of the Holy Spirit is in you for the purpose of the ability to abide. And Jesus has asked us, 
Would you fully trust the life that is mine that I have put in you? Will you fully trust that enough to cease from all of your work that mine may be produced? Because how many of you know that, that if Jesus is working on your behalf, then it is glorifying the Father? Somebody tell me a day when Jesus did not glorify the Father. You can't find it. So why would we trust anything else to glorify the Father except for the one who has fully and always will glorify the Father? And Jesus right here tells us the key to your production in the Christian life is your willingness to abide. And I want to tell you, in abiding, there will be much activity. I've never seen somebody filled with the Spirit, abiding in the Spirit, that's been doing absolutely nothing. It's full of activity, but here's the catch. They never get tired because the power they're relying on is not their own. I want to just tell you, if you're exhausted as a Christian today, if you are so sick and tired of people coming up to you with questions, if you are so tired of pouring your life out into the lives of others, check yourself because there's a, there's a good chance you're not abiding. There's a good chance that what you're pouring out is your best idea of what this book says and not the power of God which is in you. The work of the believer comes from the power that is in us by the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that he does not get tired? That he's not exhausted from your friend's questions? He's not tired from the brokenness that keeps coming into your life? He's not tired of ministering to that one person? The Holy Spirit never gets exhausted. But we do. So if we don't abide in him, ministry will become difficult. How many, how many pastors, man, how many times have I heard this story? Well, what happened to this guy? He's a pastor for 20, 30 years, burned out. Youth pastor for two years, burned out. Worship pastor for six months, burned out, right? Just kidding. Right? We're constantly exhausted in our Christian lives. We're constantly exhausted in our relationships and our marriages because the work of our life is in us. If we would just catch this one truth, that to bear fruit we must abide, and if we would begin to practice doing nothing, and in that glorify God, we would find much rest. And I, I really believe that what God did to Adam and Eve, what He's instituted in the Ten Commandments this Sabbath, is to teach us that very lesson. And it's one of the great dangers of us just excusing the Sabbath. Because it's the practical day in which we remember that rest is what will allow us to produce this next week. Right? All right. One of the things that uh, struck me, I, man, I, I'm hating that I don't remember who said it. I don't like to quote somebody that I don't remember who it was. But I heard a guy say one time, that fullness in the kingdom is measured in overflow. Now think about that for a second. That took me, I'm still on it, right? That, that fullness in the kingdom is measured in overflow. Fullness for us is not measured in overflow. If I were to ask you, if I were to begin to fill this cup, if I were to ask you how full is this cup, it's sketchy, isn't it? How full is the cup, right? We would, we would, we would, measure fullness, even though it's not really full, is it? This is kind of the way we, we would look at fullness. But if fullness in the kingdom is measured in overflow, what does that look like? Because in reality, this glass, tell me when it's full. Is it full yet? Now, we would say at this point, 
we would probably say, yep, that's full. That's ready to, maybe, I don't know, maybe you could fit a cube ice in there and drink it, right? Right? That's full. But the reality is it's, it's not. There's still space. And the point where this glass, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, at the point where this glass is full, completely full, where there is absolutely no more space, is right there. Why? Yeah, because it's overflowing. If it's not overflowing, it's not full. If it's not overflowing, if water's not coming out, then that means there's still space that water can fit. You with me? So fullness in the kingdom is measured in overflow. This is the way that we approach the Sabbath right here. If this wasn't stuck to the bottom, I'd pour it out and show you again. But if I were to pour this cup half out, that's the way we normally come into Sabbath. That's the way we normally ask God to, uh, to work with us as we come in uh, mostly exhausted and we say, God, fill us up, fill me up because I'm so exhausted. I need something else to give out. And most of our time uh, in, in Sabbath is because we pour ourselves out completely and then we ask God to fill us back up. But what if, what if this was Sabbath and as we rested, this was the rest of our week? What if this is what everybody else was getting? right? What if they weren't just getting what's in you? What if you weren't having to completely empty yourself? What if what people got from you was the overflow of the Spirit of God in your life? And what if that's what Sabbath produced? What if while we rested and remembered and refocused, we were full to the point of overflowing and that's what carried us up into our week? And the overflow of our lives, of our uh, time in Sabbath spent with God, the overflow is what everybody else got. And we came back into Sabbath absolutely full. Does that sound like God to want to drain you? Isn't that funny? Like we've created theology around that. The desire of God is for you to totally drain yourself, be exhausted and empty and come back barely able to move I would tell you, find that in Jesus' life. If you're going to build theology around it, you've got to find it in Jesus. And you can't. Jesus always ministered from a place of overflowing. Why? Jesus was good Jew. He observed the Sabbath. Jesus always ministered from a place of overflowing. That's a great rule of thumb. It's a good thing that thing's stuck down. I'd have spilled that a bunch. So always a, a great point of study. If you're going to build theology around it, you have to prove it in the life of Jesus. He's perfect theology. And Jesus shows us this thing, and he says it. He says, as the Father loved me... Uh, sorry, that's not where he... There it is. Yeah, so I was right. So as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Right? In John uh, chapter 19, Jesus tells us that uh, he does nothing that he doesn't see his Father do. The work of Jesus is in the overflow of his life. So the last piece, you guys good with that one? Rest. And then remember. 
I'm going to fly through this because I want to just give you some practicals because I don't want us to leave here and go, okay, that's what theoretically Sabbath is about. We got to begin to reinstitute this in our lives in a practical way. Amen? Yeah? Okay. All right, so why do we remember? Go to Ephesians. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read 13. I warned you up with 11 verses. Now I'm going to read 13. The Bible speaks well for itself, right? Sometimes it's good for us just to read it and be done. Remember. So here's what Paul tells us to remember, and I'm just going to read this. I'm going to try not to fill anything in. It's going to be difficult, but I'm going to do it. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 1 through 13. Now listen to this. He says, remember, on the Sabbath it is good to remember. Uh, Moses told them, remember that you were once slaves. Remember where you came from. And it is good for us to always keep central in our mind where we came from. Remember, and this is what Paul's going to say, and you were dead in the trespass and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. On the Sabbath we must remember. So Colossians chapter 2 tells us that, uh, and you can go there if you want to be quick. In verse 16, it says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Verse 17 says, These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So what that says is, it says, No one pass judgment on you in terms of food or drink, right? He's talking about ritualistic ceremony according to the custom of the law. He says, according to new moon or according to Sabbath. He says that these are, uh, these are a shadow of things to come, and the substance is in Christ. And Jesus would say, he said, I didn't, come to, uh, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill the law. Our understanding here is that Jesus has, in and of himself, he has fulfilled the law. He has done all that the law required. He has been righteousness on my behalf so that in him I am now called righteous. You guys with me? But a lot of people will point to this verse and they'll say, well, that means the law has no validity to the believer. 
We talked about this the first week. If you were here the first week when we talked about what the law is, that is, that is a, a false understanding. The law is still the standard of God. The law is God's righteousness, and it proves, it proves our sinful nature. Right? Before the law was something written on tablets of stone that the people of Israel looked at and tried to serve that thing, and now in Christ, the law is not gone. It's just written in us right? The scripture says that it's written on our hearts. Why? Because Jesus now lives in us. The Holy, I'm sorry, I did it. The Holy Spirit now lives in us. The life of Christ is in us. And so the law is written on our hearts. And as we abide in him, the expression of our lives is the fulfillment of the law. You with me? The law is not something that is now foreign to the believer that we don't need to pay attention to that doesn't matter. No, it's what's, it's what's being fulfilled as we abide in Christ and live our lives out. It's written in us. And so we can't say about the Sabbath it has no practical implication. Because as I said before, if that were true, you'd have to say don't murder has no practical implication. That's spiritual. Can you imagine the foolishness? To kill somebody and say, well, I didn't murder, I just murdered him physically. The Bible, that's, uh, it's spiritual. What? <laughs> we, can't, we can't do that with some commandments and not do it with others. The Sabbath is as practical and as uh, real today as don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, right? These things are true practically and they also have significance spiritually. So what is the practical? I've got just a couple of minutes, so... Uh, when my dad was teaching Sunday school when I was a kid, he'd say, two-minute warning. And that meant, okay, quit messing around, listen for two minutes, right? As junior high kids, that was about all we had. <laughs> so two-minute warning. What is, the, what is the practical implication? The practical implication is that we have removed Sabbath completely from our lives. I want to just tell you that coming to church, though is good and in some ways is restful and can be part of Sabbath, that in and of itself is not Sabbath. Sabbath is a time where we cease from doing. And I want to tell you, it's as important to understand physically as it is spiritually. Because why do you, why do you fast? You fast, it's a physical thing, isn't it? You stop eating. Why? Because uh, you, you want to focus on something deeper spiritually, right? So you remove something physical. Well, the Sabbath works in the same way. It's a physical ceasing of work that we might focus in a deeper place. And most of us do not have that as a regular part of our routine. So practically, what am I challenging you to do? I'm challenging you to reinstitute the Sabbath in your weekly routine that you might do those three things that you might refocus, remember, and rest. You don't have to start on a full day. I worked with a uh, group of guys last semester, and I just told them, start with, um, start with four hours. What would it look like to have Sabbath for four hours? And one of them loves to fish, and he said, can I fish during this? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the point here is not to create the legalistic demands of the law. The point here is to institute a time of rest. If you rest in fishing, great. But don't tell me you rest cleaning out the garage. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me you rest by catching up on business stuff for the weekend. Don't tell me that. Institute four hours where those things can occur. Well, you can rest, remember, and refocus. If you can't do those three things in the activity you're doing, shopping, then it's not Sabbath. Just 
don't make this don't make this about what you're doing and what you're not doing. Make this about the three things that God has asked to come out of Sabbath. And my challenge to you is uh, for, for one month, make this a regular part of your weekly routine. That would be four times. I think this isn't a five-week, yeah, I don't know. Depends on what day you put it. Most of, most of you would be five or four times. Four times in your month on a routine basis, take Sabbath for four hours. And in that time, concentrate on doing those three things. Make sure that you rest. And as you rest, remember that the production of my week, the, the, what is going to be filled in my week that will glorify God will come as I rest. And I'm practicing that in the physical, but I will continue to practice that throughout my week spiritually. I will abide in Christ. Refocus. Remember, have perspective on what your life is, how long it is, and what we're here to do. Refocus. And remember, man, if you have to go back and just read Ephesians chapter 2, remember, remember, remember what the miracle that has, has been done that we might be partakers in life. Remember that you were once dead, separated from God. Remember that by, a, by His grace you have been saved. That in His kindness and in His love you now are reconnected with the Father and have life where you once had death. Lindsay and I, we're in the same place where many of you are uh, when we started going through this about a year ago. And I want to tell you, it is a challenge. We realize we have no Sabbath in our life, none. So we started this and we, we had, uh, it was on Saturdays uh, from 8 to 12. Saturdays 8 to 12, we'd wake up and we would, one of the things we had to do, we had to turn our phones in. Like we just, we had a place on our mantle, we just put our phones and because uh, if they're in your pocket, you check them whether there's anything there or not. It's like muscle memory. It's wild, isn't it? You like hear vibration and nothing really happened, you know? <laughs> I felt my phone. Nope, nobody called me, right? So we would turn our phones in and for those four hours, maybe just with our kids and uh, we didn't try to set an alarm clock, but kids, you know, they, they wake up early. Um, but, but we just rested. Maybe we'd go to the park, whatever, but we, but we rested and I want to tell you, it was very easy to come off of that. We were, we were on that for, I don't know, a few months, and then life began to happen, and we, we got off of it again. And it's been something for us. It's been a battle to keep in our home. But it has been so enriching. And I want to tell you, it's, it's, you got to detox a little bit because it's weird to rest. You'll know how bad you need it by how much you hate it the first time you do it. That was us. It's like, all right, this is weird. i got to have do something, right? But that's how bad you need it. And as, we, as it began to be habitual, it began to be something that we craved. It was so cool. It, it was something we looked forward to because we knew that's where the, the energy from the rest of the week is going to come from. So that's the practical. And I'm gonna, I, I want to just hear from you. Just let me know how it, how it goes, right? We're not going to teach on Sabbath again, um, but I, I just want to hear from you as you take Sabbath. Four hours, everybody good? Four hours, four weeks, okay? That's the goal. Take four hours four weeks of your day. And man, if you have families, bring your kids into this. This is awesome. If, you got, like, if you're living with believers, reinstitute this with your roommates. That'd be, that'd be a lot easier if you have everybody on the same page. Much, much, much easier. Cool? All right. I'm just going to pray rest over you. God, we thank you for this group, and God, thank you for your Sabbath. I thank you that we're not defined uh, by our work week. And I thank you that we're not defined by what we do. 
We're defined by our willingness to abide in you. You are the one that does everything. In you, there is all power. In you, there is all authority. In you, there is healing. In you, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's peace. God, those are the things that I want to pour out of my life. So God, I know that I must rest and abide in you. Father, I pray that we would reinstitute a real Sabbath in our lives. No matter what day that is, I just pray that we would begin to rest again. And I pray that we would build from four hours to a full day. God, give us the discipline to do it. And as we rest, I pray that we would remember. Remember what you have done. Remember that we were once slaves to a thing called sin, that we were once separated from you. But you have brought us near by the blood of Christ. You have given us all spiritual blessings. God, we are rich in you. I thank you for your love, which has done it. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed, not released.